0: Hello. Lauren. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Oh, my goodness. The funniest thing just happened. We went to go dial you, and like a Spanish woman picked up and was like, hello? And I was like, I don't (laughs) think that that's Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) Hello? I don't I can't even. I couldn't even
1: pretend to speak Spanish. I'm a one-language speaker.
0: How are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay.
0: Yeah? Good. How's your summer going? Did you have a good fourth?
1: Yeah, we did. It's been good. It's been the fourth was relaxing. Mm. How I like it. Mm-hmm. Just low key. I'm yeah. big on low key these days. I nothing, bet. Hey, are nothing you exciting? Are you going to
0: Vermont this year?
1: Yeah, we are. Oh, you are. We are. Oh, yeah, boy. it's. Uh, I didn't. We had. We're going with Andy's sister. I didn't mm. want to go alone because yeah. my brother being there last year was really key. Yeah. Um, and so we are not going alone but we are going I think it's important you know it's like it's a it's a place that my family's been going for years and years I didn't want it to be like redefined yeah
0: by this this whole thing okay all right yeah so I'm going to introduce you first and then we'll you know I want to talk a little bit about like how I know you and and then um I just want you to tell the story exactly how you told it that day at lunch does that sound good
1: (laughs) I'll see I'll see how I do (laughs)
0: <laughs> well just know too that like if you're if you're kind of talking through it and you're there's certain parts where you're like can you cut that out we can yeah. so don't worry about yeah. it okay okay mm-hmm. so Lauren Mastretta and I've known you for tw- it's like 18 years
1: which is insane right
0: <laughs> Yeah. I met you at Reebok right so it's yeah. 18 years ago and you're in were you in licensing when you first started
1: yeah, I was in licensing. Okay. I was the coordinator for the licensing group. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And were you still there when I left? When did you leave? I left in, I want to say 2007 or 2008. I left in oh seven in August, in July. I think you left right before me. Okay. I think. And where did you go from there? I went to Hasbro. Right, of course. Okay. Yep. And, and then yep. how long were you at Hasbro for? I was at Hasbro for six years. Okay, awesome. Okay, cool. So, you reached out to me. What was it like two months ago? Right. Well, we've always kind of back and forth, kept in touch a little bit, right? right. A little bit, right. just career, and we've always
1: kind yeah, of yeah. You a were look- at New Balance when I was leaving. When I was leaving Hasbro, I was, I was thinking about New Balance, and so I knew I knew that you had been there, mm-hmm. and we got together at some point, right around then. And then you were doing your yoga thing, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so I was curious about that. So we've just kind of. Yeah, it's been it's been a little sporadic, but at the same time, kind of regular.
0: <laughs> yeah. I remember when I was living in Newton, you you just had one of your babies and you came. We met for lunch and you literally like had just had I don't know which one it was. If you give me a year, it will make it <laughs> Um, It probably was around 2012
1: or so that th- would be Emily Emily yeah. so you're second yeah. right yeah yep. yeah yep. okay mm-hmm.
0: that sounds about right wow and so they're how old now seven and nine seven and nine okay okay and so yeah so then we obviously reconnected just a couple months ago. And, you know, I, I loved it when you reached out to me, we had to like reschedule a couple times. And then I was like, Yeah, I totally want to get together with Lauren, because I <laughs> like have all this time. Now I have time to do it. Right. And then of course, you think you have all this time and it gets rescheduled. And then when we sat down to talk, you already know this, but like you blew me away with what you told me like completely. it's not the
1: normal it's not the normal catch up no
0: story. no Definitely it was not. Not, it was not the normal like hey so how are the kids and how's the job and how's your house and all of that it was like wait what <laughs> so right. that's why I right. wanted to have you um because I at the same time like it was for me just hearing you talk um it, it I feel like I still think about the story. I think I actually can't wait to hear it again because I I think so much of what you said um, it still resonates with me. Right? Where like when Mm -hmm. I have tough days, I think like about what just the way that you talked about how so precisely things kind of unraveled the way that they did, and if they hadn't unraveled the way that they did, you probably wouldn't. I wouldn't be here. Right. Right. So okay. So let's let's talk about let go into it however you want. Okay. Um,
1: well, I should say that like before this whole thing happened, I had gone through some career shifts and mm-hmm. I had done some work on my mindset, um, working with a therapist who's phenomenal and just really felt like I was in a great place. I felt um, I felt like I had less stress and I was working out regularly. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was a better person in my family, like as a mom to my husband, just because I had been just really reflecting, developing a sense of like presence and gratitude, really on mm-hmm. on a regular basis, and just thinking that way. And so I, I was feeling pretty good pretty good about myself. Right. Um. And so we went on vacation to Vermont for a week, which is something that we do every summer at the end of the summer. My family has a timeshare in Stowe um, that I've been going to for basically since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And um, one morning I woke up and I couldn't move my body. Mm-hmm. And I knew obviously that something was wrong because I was, I was really, really hot and I couldn't move and I could open my eyes and see, but I, I couldn't move. And that lasted, I'm not sure exactly actually how long it lasted, mm-hmm. but it stopped at a certain point And I woke up my husband and I said to him, you know, you should call nine one one. I think I just had a seizure. I'm, mm. I'm not, I'm not a medical professional. Right. I had no idea if that was what happened, but I, it was the only thing that I could come up with in that moment. Yeah. Um, and he he was like, okay, you know, are you okay? What's going on? And you know, I told him, and he, and then and then I kind of started to feel better for a couple of minutes. And he was like, you you seem fine. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I am fine. And I kind of started to like get up and walk around and. Uh-huh. Um, and then all of a sudden, like it's, I started not being fine again and I was getting woozy and, you know, at some point he had called the paramedics and, um, ushered the kids out. Luckily the kids didn't see anything. They went over to my brother's condo, which was next door. Um, but anyway, so the paramedics arrive and I don't, I don't remember a ton of what was going on other than they were arguing about whether or not they would be able to get me out of the condo on a stretcher because of the configuration yeah. of the condo. And I remember <laughs> thinking to myself, really guys, like, this is... <laughs> seriously. Um, and then I kind of, and then, and then I don't have anything until I was in the ambulance okay. and I have a couple of memories from the ambulance ambulance. Um, it was an hour long ride from not, I didn't know that at the time because I was going in and out, but an hour-long ride from where we were in Stowe to Burlington to, to uh, UVM Medical mm-hmm. in Burlington. So I have a couple of memories of being in the ambulance, you know, waking up and having the EMT saying, stay with me, Lauren, stay mm-hmm. with me. Oh and then we we picked someone up, which was a really random experience to have in an in a, um, ambulance. But I later learned from my husband that the the people who were driving the ambulance actually didn't have full medical training. They were kind of like the volunteer group, and oh. for whatever was going on with me, they needed someone that had, like, a real EMT or paramedic training. Mm-hmm. And so we stopped and picked up a woman who was a firefighter okay. in one of the towns on the way. But Andy said <sighs> we, like, pulled over into, like, a high school parking lot, and this woman jumped on board, and I remember her coming on board. <sighs> and, you know, I remember seeing her, and she had long blonde hair and these red suspenders, you know, fi- like <laughs> firefighters, they wear those like red <laughs> suspenders yeah. to their pants. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and so, you know, I remembered her coming on. Um, and then the next memory I have is waking up in the ER. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, what was interesting was I, I wasn't afraid. I thank God I was in no pain at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a bit of an out of body experience other than the fact that I was kind of looking, I woke up and I looked and I just had this sea of doctors. Around me, all in blue with the you know, the scrubs and everything. So you and, had uh, had
0: like no symptoms at nothing. all prior to this morning, where you wake up and you're like, I think I had a seizure.
1: Right, nothing. And my medical history was like two normal pregnancies, and my wisdom teeth came out. Right. <laughs> like other than that, nothing. Nothing, nothing to report. Um, But your body, I I remember
0: you telling me your body was really hot. Is that what it was? mm -hmm. Like you were really warm? When I, when I
1: woke up, yeah, when I woke up and I couldn't move, I was really, really hot. Right. And I was like sweating. I was like sweating, it felt like, Mm -hmm. just like super hot. Um, And
0: your body just instinctively, when Andy asked you like, well, what's wrong? You were like, I had a seizure. You just instinctively was like, this is what your body's telling you happened to you.
1: I, yeah, I just. It, you know, because I, you know, um, my daughter had a febrile seizure when she was a baby, which is like when you have a really quick spike in a fever, you can have um, a seizure. Yeah. And I I really don't know a lot about seizures. That's pretty much all I know. And so I get, but I knew I had lost control of my body. Right. And so that's why I thought it was a seizure. Okay.
0: All right. So fast forward into, you're in the hospital, you wake up, all these doctors
1: are surrounding you. All these doctors. (laughs) And I had this, like, this voice in my head said like, with again, with no fear, Mm -hmm. just like, wow, look at all these doctors. There are so (laughs) many doctors here right now. Like, not... I don't know if I fully recognize that they were there for me or like, I don't know, but I just remember having that thought and just like making that very like, you know, mm-hmm. non-judgmental observation. There are a lot of doctors in here right now. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> very calm. It was... But then, so then, you know, once they saw that I was with it, the, the main guy, the main doctor started, you know, asking me questions. Do you know where you are? Mm-hmm. Do you know your name? And I had, you know, an oxygen mask on. So I was kind of speaking through that. And I said, something is happening to me. Hmm. I said, I think I might be having seizures. And then I don't know what happened. I guess I went out again. Because when you're losing consciousness repeatedly, you don't know when you're actually losing consciousness, but you know when you come back. Because it's like, oh, I just woke up.
0: Or at least that was my experience. I
1: shouldn't speak for everyone because I don't know what it's like for other people. but. That's how it was for me, uh-huh. and so and so that I, I then I woke up at a at some point, and I said, I think it just happened again, and uh-huh. he basically said to me, "Yep, we we got it," you know, and that's uh-huh. it. And then the next memory I have is so that was that was at um, UVM Medical up in Burlington, and the next memory I have is waking up at MGH in uh-huh. Boston um, and hearing people argue about whether or not they could extubate me without my throat swelling. Oh my. Goodness. So
0: yeah. And how yeah. much time chi- how much time had passed? Like do
1: you So it happened on August twenty eighth. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think I probably woke up at MGH maybe September fourth. I'd have to look at a calendar because it was over Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely a week. So you lost was...
0: da- like you lost days, yeah.
1: Oh like... yeah.
0: It was like a week. I would say it's like a week. And you were just out during that time.
1: So, you know, what I found out later was Mm -hmm. that um, so what so what was actually happening to me, it was it wasn't seizures. Um, What was actually happening to me was that the electricity in my body, which, P.S., I didn't know there was electricity in your body. But, you know, fun fact, there's electricity (laughs) in your body Um, and the electricity system in my body was sending signals to my heart to basically go crazy, Mm. um, to beat. And my heart was going up and beating 300 beats per minute, which is definitely not the norm. Mm -hmm. The normal like resting heart rate is between 50 and 60. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had been doing actually a lot of metabolic conditioning at the gym. And so I I was familiar with my heart rate. And like, you know, when I was really like, you know, jamming on the treadmill or a really high intensity class, I would be like up at 160. Or maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe maybe 170. Um, But 300 beats a minute is definitely not where your heart is supposed to be. And what was happening was when your heart beats that fast, the valves actually can't really function. They kind of just flutter. Mm -hmm. And so there was no blood circulating through my system. And so there was no blood getting into my brain. And so I was passing out Mm. because of that. Um, and normally when this happens to people, they're able to shock you mm-hmm. like you see on TV with those. Yeah. The paddles, right. Shockers, mm-hmm. whatever yeah. they call the yeah. paddles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and what that kind of does is it's, you know, it's like in the movies when somebody's ha- freaking out and somebody else comes and like smacks them across the face <laughs> and they kind of like, like, you know, they, they, they snap back into it yeah. out of their freak out moment. Right. So that's what those shocker things are supposed to do. They're basically shock your heart back into a normal rhythm. mm and and they tried to do that with me in in Vermont. They they actually shocked me 35 times and it didn't work. Um and they also did a thing in Vermont. They so they knew what was happening in, in Vermont. They just couldn't stop it. Mm-hmm. So they they did this thing called an ablation where they go and they burn some nerves on your heart where mm-hmm. they think those electrical signals are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um but that didn't work. The only way to get it to stop was to like completely sedate me um and so that that's the state that i was in for that time period i was completely sedated Mm -hmm. and um out of it so kind kind of like a medically induced coma Coma. although i don't know like i don't know the technical like verification of what that requires but so i was heavily heavily drugged that's the only way they could keep it from happening they also put a heart pump in Mm -hmm. um which didn't which didn't do exactly what they wanted it to do to to try and fix this. so basically, in Vermont, they were like, look, we've done we've done all the things that we can do here. You need to go somewhere else um to to get this resolved which i'm really I'm really thankful to that team mm-hmm. um, for recognizing that and to kind of recommend for recommending that to Andy because mm-hmm. you know he's not a doctor. We mm-hmm. don't know what we're doing like yeah. Yeah. Um, but so that that's the that's kind of what transpired to have me then um, air flighted from UVM to MGH, uh, which you have
0: no recollection of.
1: You don't no recollection. Which is you know what totally fine with me. <laughs> I'm I'm not a great flyer and helicopter. Forget about it. I would definitely not want to
0: um, not want to. Yeah. Well, no. so did Andy go? Was
1: was your husband with you, or so? He, thank you, but he, because because we were able to offload the kids to my brother, mm-hmm. um, Andy was able to come and be an advocate for me in the hospital, which I think now I feel like that is that, that was such a gift. Mm-hmm. And, like, again, all of these things kind of fell into place in just the right way. Mm-hmm. Because, again, so it was an hour-long hospital ride from where we were to, to or an hour-long ambulance ride mm-hmm. from where we were to the hospital, and... Throughout that time, I maybe had, like, three or four of those episodes where I was going in and out. Oh, wow. I don't remember that, but that's what Andy told me. Wow. As soon as we got to the ER, it was, like, every few seconds. It, it just, like, skyrocketed. So we got <sighs> there just in time. Because at the end of the day, your body really can't sustain no th- this, this for very long. No.
0: I mean, your heart was, like... I don't even know what the math on that is, but it basically was going an average rate, you know, 60, little 68, 69, all the way up. You were saying how, how many beats? To 300. That's 300. like, come on. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, your body cannot sustain that. And then how long were the episodes lasting for? Do you know?
1: I don't know. Well, because they would shock me to try and get it to stop, oh, right? Oh, goodness. So, and, yeah. So, um, so, but, but, so Andy was with me in the hospital and, mm-hmm. and luckily our families, my, my parents and his parents drove up to Vermont and kind of took over with the kids. And so mm-hmm. the kids actually had a great week hanging out with their grandparents <laughs> while I was in the hospital. Um, <laughs> and then he could not come on the helicopter with me. Okay. So he had to drive the four hours from Vermont mm-hmm. down to Boston, um, um, safely Mm, (laughs) Uh, while I flew in the helicopter. Friends, I don't remember this, but friends of ours were able to meet me when I landed at MGH and kind of be there um, to receive me, even though I wasn't really with it until Andy got there. Um, And again, only found this out later, but what then transpired was that I had what I now know to be pretty experimental surgery at the time, <laughs> this this uh, procedure called a bilateral sympathectomy, mm-hmm. which is where they go in and burn um, these nerves that kind of run along your spine. Mm-hmm. And we found out later by meeting with the thoracic surgeon that I was only the second person that, at MGH that he had ever performed this surgery on for cardiac purposes. So they do a version of this surgery for people who have overly sweaty palms, like mm. which you know, I had never heard of, but the doctor explained to me that there's a condition that people have where they can just be sitting, having a normal conversation, whatever, and there's literally like sweat dripping off their palms. Yeah. And so to 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 stop that from happening, they go in, they you know, they collapse one lung at a time, and they burn a little bit of these nerves that go along the along your spine. And there is a doctor at UCLA that thought, hey, I wonder if there are cardiac implications for this, because those nerves also have cardiac acceleration capability, or, mm-hmm. or I don't know the terminology, but there's a cardiac accelerator that, that lives in that nerve system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what they have been figuring out is if they burn more of those nerves. Okay. And and the question is how much more, yeah. right? Because it's not like you're working with a ruler in there and you're like, no, yeah. go from the two to the five. No, <laughs> right. it's, it's completely... <laughs> You know, it's completely un- unclear exactly how much and then there's there's a risk where if you burn too much, you can get into this is the nervous system you're talking about. So there were a lot of side effects that they mentioned to Andy, like I could have gotten out of there with, you know, um, limited vision mm-hmm. or, you know, had, you know, what some after some people have a stroke, they lose the lose feeling and the ability to like move half their face. There yeah. were all these kind of side effects that they were like, this could happen, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and the doctor who was talking to Andy was like, yeah, it's a 50-50, ch- 50-50 chance, and he was like, what? But I think, you know, it wasn't really presented to him as, you know, one of a series of options. This was basically the next thing to do, right? right? So he agreed to it, and that ultimately was the surgery that, that saved me um, because they did that surgery, you know, I was in the ICU for a couple of days recovering from that and just all the other stuff. And um, they were able to kind of wean me off, off the sedation without the episodes continuing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And so the guy, the guy at UCLA who's done this at the time had only had like a handful of examples. And um, so that's why I say it's kind of experimental. Of it's, course. Not, yeah. it's not like a proven um You know, result yet. And when I've gone back to MGH, it seems like they've had inconsistent results. When I went back, the the thoracic surgeon said to me, "So, has your defibrillator fired since you left? Because that was the last step they they put in a um, a defibrillator and a pacemaker." And Mm -hmm. I was like, "No, it hasn't fired." He was like, "Interesting." (laughs) In a way that kind of said, you know, in the couple other people that we've done this on, it's it's not consistent. So, you know, obviously a lot of complex medical stuff at work here that I can't really speak to. Of
0: course, yeah, yeah. And then talk about, because I know one of the things that you kind of learned a little bit later on was that, you know, the health of your heart, right? So we, we are unclear as to why this actually happened at all, right? Right. But one of the things that you were kind of talking to me about was the health of your heart and just physically the work that you were doing on a more regular basis, right? Going and kind of doing um you know, doing workouts more regularly and, and, and going to the gym more regularly was was probably something that you hadn't done in a little while in your life, right?
1: Yeah, I mean I so, you know, like I said, I had gone through some job changes mm-hmm. and during that time I recommitted to, you know, being more healthy both in a diet from a diet standpoint and from um, working out and so I'd gotten back into regular working out I had lost some weight um, and I was I was in really good shape and they actually said to me that it's a good thing I was in really good shape because these episodes that my heart was going through I wouldn't have been able to sustain it if I wasn't in the kind Mm -hmm. of shape that I was Mm -hmm. and in fact you know many people don't don't survive when this happens because, you know, this doesn't normally happen to people of my profile. I was young. I'm young. I have like no history. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm healthy. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, those things, those things combined put me in a, in a place to get, to get through it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and then the, the other thing I'll say is that this, this thing happened that Andy told me about after the fact, um, so I told you about how I had been cultivating this mindset yes. and, and you know, just like gratitude and mm-hmm. just kind of understanding the way things are connected and reverse. Right. So I have a friend from Hasbro who, um, while she was at Hasbro was, was diagnosed with cancer and went through her treatment. And um, she's, she's been a great friend to me and, and a mentor in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And during her experience, she had talked to me a lot about kind of the universe and just kind of, the way things work and, and, this, and this certain viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And at one point, Andy told me that when we were in UVM and I was under sedation, but I guess a little bit more lucid than, than other times. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that I was trying to communicate. I couldn't communicate because I was, I was intubated, right. I had a breathing tube. And so you can't talk. And I was also somewhat restrained because I think, you know, when that happens, they just kind of like to keep, keep, keep people, calm and under control yeah but um you know at one point i had i had been trying to write something and andy said that most of my writing was like scratches on a paper totally illegible chicken scratch mm-hmm. that he couldn't decipher but and he actually showed me the piece of paper where i wrote this at one point i wrote to him call this friend of mine mm-hmm. and ask her to pray for me and andy was like who are you <laughs> because i don't i don't I don't say that. Mm-hmm. I don't say, "Oh, I'll, I'll pray for you. You're in my prayers." Mm-hmm. Like it's just not something that I. It's just not part of my language, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. I, I don't have anything against prayer or people that do say that. It's, right. it's just not, whatever. Not part of my culture, right? Right. And so I think Andy was like, "What?" Yeah. But he was like, "But I did it, right?" So he called my friend <laughs> and he told her the situation, and he he told her that I wanted her to pray for me, yeah. and she she did and she kind of contacted the people in my network that she thought I would want, you know, to know and, and told that, that, you know, I needed them. And, and I really believe that that came from a part of my brain that was working while I wasn't really there. Yeah. That basically said, this is, this is real, right? Something is really happening here and I need all the lights, in the universe to kind of light up for me because this is, this is serious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I really, you know, since, since this happened, you know, I've, I've been made aware of like a network of people that I didn't even know existed, yeah. you know, that know me, that know people that know me. I mean, Andy wrote this blog and yeah. people were reading it all over the world. Like, it, I mean, it, it wasn't like it went viral, mm-hmm. but for me, yeah. <laughs> it went viral, you know? Yeah. And, I think that, I think that all of those thoughts. And I know it's a cliche, but I think that all of those thoughts mm-hmm. and prayers mm-hmm. that people said, I really think that they helped me get through. Yeah, it's I think energy,
0: that, right? It's energy and yeah. the direction of energy and how you point that energy. And yeah, yeah, I I believe it too. <laughs> I remember. Um, I actually. Yeah. So after we had the lunch together, I went back and I was like, I know that I remembered seeing Andy's blog and I remember like reading it and I remember like seeing the post, but I never, I don't think I put together two and two with regards to what- You didn't like read it. I don't think I absorbed it. Like, I don't think I absorbed the severity of the situation, which- is pretty common with me like that just tends to be sometimes unless I'm like in it or unless I'm you know I I ex- see it almost sometimes I, I'm I don't completely absorb it but I I went back and I read that blog and I was like wow I I yeah. do remember I do remember this but I I I don't think I paid enough attention. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think (laughs) I paid enough attention to it. So that was interesting for me to to actually like sit in front of you and talk to you and hear you explain the whole situation, all of it, right? All of it from, you know, everything that was going on with your life, you know, career wise, because you and I both, you know, our, our careers have been fairly important part of our lives I mean I can say that it's definitely yeah, been a very important, yeah definitely part important part of my life and having knowing where you were with that and you know what what you were trying to do the self work that you were trying to do and then have to have this happen it just to me the the order in which everything kind of unraveled um, was just something that I was like wow this is just I I don't even know how to how to explain this. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean looking back, honestly, I think everything happened in just the right way so that I did survive it. You know, like not being being you know, not being in in work for a period of time so that I could commit to mm-hmm. being healthy and and kind of making myself a priority and then when I did find a job it was more flexible mm-hmm. so that I could continue to prioritize my family and my health you know starting to work with this therapist who really helped me cultivate that mindset mm-hmm. that made me aware of this other way of thinking that also contributes to you know, your physical health and your mental health. And what's so interesting to me also is that, you know, after this all happened, I did a cardiac uh, rehab program at MGH Mm -hmm. and meditation and the mind body connection Mm -hmm. was a major part of that program. Mm -hmm. And when my cardiologist told me that I was going to do this program, he kind of joked and was like, you're going to be the mascot." of this group because traditionally it's people who are older and have kind of more standard heart attacks, right? This was not a heart attack that I had. It's actually called a polymorphic ventricular cardi, uh, hold on, polymorphic mm-hmm. ventricular tachycardia arrhythmia oh my is what it is, which, you know, that's it's like, like a lot of letters, there. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not a heart attack. It's, that's not what it was. And so the people who I was with, you know, are, it's more of the profile, you know, that traditional heart attack profile who very stereotypically you wouldn't think would be receptive to something like meditation and like mind-body. yeah. But the, the, the team, the medical team there was like so focused on it and it was a major part of the program that I did. Mm. And, and it just, for me reaffirmed like all of the things that I had been working on and you know the joke that i tell is you know i thought i had developed a pretty good perspective but clearly somebody thought i needed more because <laughs> then i had this happen to me but i think i think actually the the mindset that i cultivated before it happened really helped me afterwards because you know i saw it as something that i survived mm. and that i have i have this opportunity to thrive and and recognize even more so mm-hmm. with gratitude what i have and really think about each day and the choices I make differently. Right. And, you know, I thought I was operating that way. But I think you can always be a little better. Yeah. At that. Yeah. And this was just kind of a kick in the pants for me to, to do even more of that. Mm. And I think it helped me through a lot of the, you know, Trauma, mm-hmm. right? Because it's, a, it's a, I mean, it was a, it was a near-death experience. Yeah, that's of, course, what it was, of course, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's traumatic. And there's a lot of kind of stuff, mm-hmm. mental stuff, that you go through after that. Mm-hmm. And I think having this mindset in place helped me better navigate mm-hmm. some of the pitfalls that can happen that can throw you into a depression mm-hmm. or or things that make. De- recovery a lot harder, Mm -hmm. um, that, and I have such a phenomenal, you know, we're part of such a phenomenal community that really rose up around us, around my kids, Mm -hmm. around my husband and me just to like, you know, help us help Mm -hmm. us get through it. I have a friend that wrote in a card to me when I was in the hospital, she said, you've got this and we've got you. Mm -hmm. And like that, Mm -hmm. like those words were just so true. And I felt that, yeah, you know, and so, I think all of those things, all of those things kind of contributed together to help me survive and, and, and get to this place where I am now. And now it's just like, okay, what's next? Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. How do you, um, how do you perceive, how would you say you perceive life differently after going through this? Like how do you, how do you operate now compared to prior?
1: So I was, like, I was a classic type A kind of control freak before, mm-hmm. and I – this is something that I started loosening up with before this happened, mm-hmm. like the idea that we actually don't it's, – it's a perceived sense of control that we have. We actually don't have control. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> I recognize that more on a regular basis, and I would say I, I don't let things get to me mm-hmm. as much as they used to mm-hmm. because I recognize that I have a choice of how I respond and to to develop that mindset, it's not I haven't perf- believe me, I'm not perfect. I haven't perfected it. I'm working on it yeah. every day. yeah, but to be able to create the space to respond instead of react, yeah is, I would say one of the biggest um, one of the biggest impacts that it's had on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and just and just really recognizing when things are amazing, like mm-hmm. the other night, I made dinner. I made fish tacos, which I've never made before, <laughs> so it's always a gamble, but they came out pretty well. My kids actually ate them or some version of them, yeah. so it was like double win, yeah. and then my daughter was like, mommy, let's do, you know, family game night, after not family game night, like family sport night mm. after dinner, and mm. everybody can like take a turn and pick a sport that we play in the backyard, oh, and fun. we were just out there for like an hour, oh. just like playing together yeah and the weather was great and I was just like this is it this is this is why I'm here you know and there have been moments like that where the kids have had events at school and I think to myself you know I could have missed this but I'm here yeah you know yeah and
0: and you prior like it sounds like you you were working on this idea of like prioritizing things differently prior to it but now is it just kind of like is it so clear to you that you don't even have to think about it anymore? Or is it still a work in progress for you?
1: I mean, I think it's always a bit of a work in progress. that yeah. ebbs and flows, right? So the way I kind of thought about it to myself is like I, I used to really define myself as like by my career and, and yep. success by how well I was doing, climbing the corporate ladder, mm-hmm. you know. But at mm-hmm. a certain point, I was thrown off the corporate ladder before mm-hmm. this happened. And I was like you know that's when i kind of started asking the questions because i was like according to my you know perspective before being thrown off the corporate ladder means that i'm a failure but i don't feel like a failure so mm-hmm. what does that mean who am i you know mm-hmm. what what do i want to do what do i want to be mm-hmm. you know those are the questions i started asking before this happened and i think now that this has happened it's even more so and saying like that climbing that corporate ladder served a, a time and a purpose in yeah. my life. And I'm not, not saying that I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have a career, mm-hmm. but I think the way I see it fitting in with my life is just different because yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, it's that old cliche, like on your deathbed, no one will ever say, I wish I worked more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, I want to, I want to have a, a career that, that fulfills a certain part of, course. of, of me. But that is not the main part of me, and I think I see that more clearly now than I did before. Yeah. Yeah, um,
0: yeah it doesn't mean that you don't want to work, and it doesn't mean that you don't want to feel fulfilled by being productive in some way at the end of the day because you do. You still want right. that, right? I think right. all of us still want to that, uh, that concept of some sort of fulfillment of I was productive today or I helped something along you know, that, that was um, part of a bigger picture, you know, but I think that there's that balance of doing that, you know, for a corporate organization or the exchange of money versus doing it for the, for the betterment of like your, your personal legacy and your, your kids, your family. Right. Absolutely. Right. The other thing I would say is
1: I'm, I'm, I'm more careful about the things that I, spend my time doing Mm -hmm. so like i selectively (laughs) um let in the news
0: right yeah
1: like i'm i'm not going to get swept up in these things that are like i just don't need extra negativity i i I stopped doing facebook i stopped facebook before um before this happened Mm -hmm. um but you know just because it, it wasn't I look for things that have a positive impact on me yep. and I look to increase those. And I look at even some of the relationships that I have and yeah. I'm like, what is this relationship really yeah. about? Yeah. And if it's not doing something positive for me, yeah. then I'm going to move away from it. Yeah, that's a hard know?
0: that's a hard one, but I you know, and I also I do think a, a lot of I do think that that's so important. And I do think that there's that edge on social media where it's, you know, you could you could see the positivity or you could, you could see it as I'm, I'm, you know, it's a, it's a time suck and I'm draining my energy and I'm not being productive because I'm too busy scrolling. I think that there's, there's both sides to that. Right. And knowing yeah. that, yeah. you know, most of the time it's what people choose to put out. Right. But there's, right. It, it's right. not, I mean, it's just part of it's not good or bad it's just how you you absorb it right and there are right. definitely times where i'm like i i'm not i'm going to take a break from this yeah you know and then i also think that the relationship component is really important and it's also really difficult too because i think yeah. that to actually start to really see when you start to see things differently right when you start to like focus your lens a little bit more and you start to realize that some of the people that have been part of your life for so long or for a long enough time potentially aren't adding value or this exchange is not equal that can be really hard to and hurtful to be like wow I don't this isn't productive for me anymore you know that can be a, a tough a tough thing to to face but I also think that it's so needed sometimes that you can kind of allow that to kind of say this had just like your corporate job, right? Like this had climbing the corporate ladder served a purpose for me during that phase in my life. And I am not in that phase right now. So I need to be able to kind of let that part go. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think something that I'm working on, I will continue to work on is the whole concept of judgment and just doing it, trying to do it without judgment. Like Mm -hmm. it's not, You know, it's just something I need to do right now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think what that does is it it creates space for you to just be more present. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to do is just be here. I'm trying to, you know, all the things I talk about, presence, authenticity. Authenticity is a huge thing for me. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I started to think about before this happened. You know, even, even when I was working, like, in corporate, you know, before this happened, I talked a lot about authentic leadership Mm. and like, let's, let's bring ourselves to work. Let's show people who we are. And I wasn't in a culture that had really kind of awoken to that yet. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I've been thinking about that a lot recently. I, you know, I listened to some podcasts and I've been reading some books just about authenticity and how critical it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's really what I'm looking for mm-hmm. in my interactions and relationships now—is that authenticity—to mm-hmm. um, see if if somebody's willing to meet me on that level. Yeah, it's one of the um, biggest
0: lessons that I—I I went through a global leadership program a couple of years ago, and I think one of the number one things. There's a lot that I took out of that program, but the one of the number one things that I took away is that you don't have to leave your personal life at the door completely that's not to say you're going to drag all of it in in to work with you but there is a balance of being able to show who you are as a person outside of just your job and the role that you play in the office environment right and i i for the most part it's like a switch. It's like I'm very like, nope, this is my personal life and then this is my work life and I don't I don't meld the two. I don't really talk about the two often. And I don't think that needs to be the case. I think it can be a nice blend so long as organizations are open to allowing that to happen.
1: Right, right. Well, and I think that successful organizations, more successful organizations will do that. Yeah. Because- if you're shutting part of I mean, you're right, you don't need to bring like No. The drop you have a family feud yeah. going on, you don't need to bring that into work no, but to, no. to be who you really are versus, you know, being this outline of what somebody thinks a successful manager or leader within the company is, but you're you know, you're you're stuffing down a lot of who you are to do that. That's that's not a recipe for success. That's right. At all. That's right. And, and I think that I think that, you know you know, talking about social media, like that's a lot of it too. Is like people put up, you know, sometimes people put up these like facades of the way life is, and and if you're only seeing it through social media, you can believe that that's mm-hmm. the way it is, mm-hmm. right? And then and then there's a natural tendency to want to compare. Well, oh, like look at all the nice stuff. Look how perfect that person's kids are. My kids are never perfect. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you can start feeling pretty bad about yourself. And so I think that you know, not interpreting it that way or just not interpreting it at all because you're not exposing yourself to that. You're only, you know, you're, you're seeking out those authentic interactions where, you know, it's okay for you to share your imperfection with someone else because they're, they're willing to be there to receive that Mm -hmm. from you and also share theirs with you. You know what I mean? So I think that that's, that's something that's different about me now. I'm just more tuned into that stuff. And I I just don't even think I would have been able to articulate this conversation before, (laughs) you know, it just wasn't, it just wasn't part of my lexicon. It wasn't something that I was aware of. Uh Um, Again, I credit my therapist with like giving me a lot of really good book recommendations and and just that have, that have opened my mind up to see more and think differently than I, than I did before um, and really helped me survive. Uh Right. honestly survive this journey. So
0: And are you still are you still meditating? I am still meditating. You do?
1: Yes I am. Good. Yep. What kind of meditation do you do? Still doing guided meditation. Mm-hmm. I can't I I honestly I don't I, like I wanna learn more about mm-hmm. after our conversation I was like I really need to dig in and figure out some <laughs> of these other kinds of meditation mm-hmm. but I just haven't had a chance. Yeah. Um but what I do is I kind of look for a theme mm-hmm. like, you know, I've been working on some stuff related to forgiveness of certain people, you know, in my life. And mm-hmm. so I've been, I've been doing a bit of forgiveness meditation, um, mm-hmm. or, you know, calming there's, you know, if there's some like anxiety prone things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I often look for themes that I think are relevant to what I need at a particular moment, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, wow. yep, definitely still doing it.
0: So cool. I love it. I I just, I'm so happy you had a chance to like share with me I was honored like I left lunch with with you that day and I was like wow she wanted to talk to me about this this is the coolest thing ever (laughs) and then I right away I was like we need to tell everybody about this because it really was the cool it was just incredible I mean I'm so glad of course I mean as my friend for 18 plus years I'm so glad you're here to talk to me about it and, you. Um, you know, you're someone that I've always just appreciated and enjoyed and um, loved working with whenever I did have the chance to work with you. And just, you're smart. I mean, Lauren, you're smart. So it's like I, I was, I when I left you, I was like, thank goodness she's still here, my friend, <laughs> <laughs> my friend, right? And you're a mom. Yeah. And, you know, clearly, it sounds like your husband, um, you know, really stepped up. I mean, not that he's always been there, but I just, it sounds like he really, that was probably super tough and super difficult for him. You know, I can't,
1: I can't (laughs) even imagine. And I've told him multiple times, you know, when I was in the hospital and I was with it, you know, here at MGH, I I just, I, you know, I kept apologizing to him and my mom and my dad, not, not because I was like owning and and taking responsibility for what happened because I had no control over it, but I just felt so sorry for what I had, I I had put them through, you know, and I told Andy, I was like, you know, if the roles were reversed, I I kept saying to him, are you okay? And he was like, yeah, I'm fine. And I'm like, okay, just to be clear, if the roles were reversed, I would totally not be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not, you know, Um, because he was alone for a chunk of it. You know, when it was really, when it was really touch and go, he was alone in Vermont and and he had a, a great team of people at UVM that were supporting him. He's, he is, still in touch with some of the nurses and I think there was a social worker up there that talked to him Mm -hmm. Um, and actually when we go back this summer we're going to go visit and I'm going to meet the ER doc and just wow that's going to be that's that's going to be interesting. Wow. Talk about meditation. I'm going to be doing a lot of meditation to get through that vacation <laughs> in can't. a healthy in a healthy way. I want to hear all about um, that. That's wild.
0: Yeah. I would want to meet them too, though. If I were you, yeah, I would. No,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they they saved my life. Like it was the fact that that guy recognized what was going on and figured it out mm-hmm. and got me on those drugs. Like, Mm -hmm. that's, that's what saved me. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's what saved me the first time. And then, (laughs) and then MGH, everybody played a role. Yeah. It was, it takes, it takes a village. Yeah.
0: And so Andy, I mean, he, he really, how, how is he now? Is he just kind of, do either of you have like anxious days where you worry or do you feel pretty like, no, I got this. I'm good.
1: I mean, things have come up. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so when I got back from the hospital, when I got home from the hospital, like the second week of September, um, over the next couple of weeks, I went, I had two trips to the ER. Um, Then, you know, it lulled for a while. Then in May, I think, Mm -hmm. I had some pretty severe chest pain out of the blue that really freaked me out. Went to the ER. That really set me back a little bit because it had been so long and I had sure. been doing so well. Um, and this chest pain and, and, it, you know, my doctor reminds me chest pain has nothing to do with your condition. Hmm. Because when I, when this whole thing happened, I felt no pain, like no pain. Um, chest pain is more associated with those more um, like typical heart attack That's stuff, right. like clogged arteries and stuff like that. I had no pain with mine. Um, wow. But, it's still really scary, especially after having gone through a cardiac rehab program where they talk about kind of the range of symptoms across all of the conditions because you have a mixed group of people there. And so, you know, it was like, okay, how to diagnose when you're having a stroke, how to diagnose if you're having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's scary having, having severe chest pain and, you know, going through and going to the ER and like having all the IVs and, you know, all that stuff. I mean, Mm. so, and, and I, you know, I have this big scar. It's not that big, I guess, because I didn't have, like, open heart surgery. But, you know, it's a a three-inch scar that goes just below my left collarbone Mm -hmm. that I see every day. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because when I first started going out after this happened, I had this sweater that kind of was like an asymmetrical neckline, Mm. and it showed the scar. And a friend of mine made a comment like, oh, you're really showing that off, huh? And I didn't really know what to think about it, but... I've come to decide that like, it's kind of like a badge of honor <laughs> and, and now it's summer and I'm wearing tank tops and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this is my scar. Yeah. Like, look what I survived. Yeah. If you want to talk about it, I'm happy to tell you the story. Good girl. Like, th- this is who I am and I own it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think about it, I think about it in that way, mm-hmm. but I would say like when I'm not feeling like, I just had like a, a hardware problem with some of the stuff that's, that that um is associated with my defibrillator it actually happened on that same day that i was describing to you where i made fish tacos and everything was so great yeah then i came in, i came inside went upstairs and i saw the warning light blinking on my <sighs> on my communicator and i was like oh my god what does that mean and it and like so i don't think i don't know that i'll ever be out out of the woods. Mm-hmm. um but i think it's just about working on what that response is i mean When I started, so I finished the cardiac rehab program, I went back to the gym, and like my second time at the gym, Mm -hmm. the trainer was late to the class, and she goes, sorry, I was late. We actually had someone in here have a heart attack this morning. Yeah. And I immediately, I was actually really proud of myself for this. Uh I immediately thought to myself, I'm okay. Uh That's not me.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm safe. Yeah. I'm thankful to be here, and I hope he's okay. Yeah. And so I know I have it in me to respond mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what happens. Like, yeah. it depends on how close it is. And like, you know, mm-hmm. so that's, you know, that's what I'm continuing to cultivate. Is just like, I'm going to be okay.
0: Yeah. And I think it is finding that space between, you know, stimulus versus response and, and, you know, doing that body scan of like, no, I'm here. It's not me. I think those are all really normal th- things to feel based on everything that you've gone through, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, well, thank you for your time today, Lauren. I loved talking Absolutely. to you. We'll be in touch, I'm sure. But thank oh, you. Yes. I appreciate it for sure. And, um, you know, take care of yourself. Thank you. All right. I I'll talk to it. you soon. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.